Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to scare you here. We're going to cover two chapters today, but we're not going to go through every verse, all right? But if you have your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter number 10. We're in our series, verse by verse, through the book of Genesis. We'll begin in Genesis chapter number 10. How many of you have ever had an idea? Well, that's hopefully all of us, right? We've had an idea at some point. You've ever had an idea, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, but you got somewhere into the middle of the execution of that idea, and you thought to yourself, I don't think this was such a good idea. Anybody been there? Anybody ever? Few of us. I have a few of those stories. Some humorous. I've been skydiving, bungee jumping, some things like that. Some not so humorous, where I made some really dumb decisions in my life and did some things that at the time seemed like a good idea. But when I got into the middle of it, I looked back, maybe with some regret or with just some, some frustration with myself. Ryan, why did you let yourself get there? And uh, I've been there many times. For some reason, I don't know if this is true, but it generally seems like men are more prone to these what was I thinking moments than women. There are some great videos and memes on the internet about why women live longer than men. Have you seen any of these? Because of stuff like this, I think they have, there's a few more here, and we'll go to the, to the next one there. Seemed like a good idea at the time. I'm not sure if that's a good idea. This is why women live longer than men. I don't know about you, but it feels like most of our problems can be solved with the, the right size ladder. It seems like why women live longer than men. There's a, another one there. Javen, that's, I don't think that's OSHA approved there, those that are in construction, Todd, others. And uh, that's one way to trim your hedges, I guess. I think we have one more. Who needs straps? I have a bro, and there it is right there, taking his stuff home. And uh, some of you think that that looks dumb. I see some amazing ingenuity, am I right? Men, have, men are problem solvers right there. I don't have what it takes, I'm going to figure it out. And uh, last summer we were in Kentucky with my wife's entire family, first time we had all been together in quite some time. Twenty-two of us at a beautiful lake house in, in, at an Airbnb in Kentucky. And, and we were driving through the town, I forget what town it was in Kentucky, but driving out into the country to go to this lake house. And what did I see? But a giant store about the size of maybe a, a small department store, a small hardware store, and on the outside it had one big word, fireworks. And I thought, that's a great idea right there. Fireworks, having been born and raised in overregulated California, I, I have been deprived of the opportunity to blow off parts of my hand throughout my childhood. And, uh, and, and we get these dumb little sparklers and little, you know, pull the thing and confetti goes, and that's how we in California, if we have not imported something from elsewhere, how we celebrate our New Year's. And so I thought, uh, because of that, whenever I travel in Arizona and other places where they have a little more firework freedom than we do, I often want to stop into these stores and buy these. And so I saw it, we were driving by it, I said, hey, one night we should do that for the 14 cousins and the, the eight adults, we should go there. And so I went to the house and I was talking to my brothers-in-law. 
and, uh, and, and I said, hey guys, I saw a fireworks store. How about each of us? We spend 100, 200 bucks each, and we go buy a ton of fireworks. We put on a big show on the last night we're together. And my brother-in-laws are wise men. One's a Christian school principal. One is a pastor. And so, of course, they said, let's do it. And, uh, and so we went down one day. We drove into town, and we bought a few hundred dollars worth of, of fireworks. We have a picture here, I think, of the beginning of the, uh, of the show. And here are the cousins enjoying just the, the sparklers and things. This was just a little appetizer before the main course. And uh, what better way than to, to have uh, 14 children ages 1 to 19 dealing with explosives in the dark where no one can see what's happening. And uh, there were lots of smiles at this point of the night. You can see everyone's having a good time. I'm over there lighting a toddler sparkler. And, uh, and there was a boat dock right behind us, and they got, then we went up to the next set of things, whatever it was, and should have known maybe this wasn't a good idea, when at some point one cousin was not paying attention and like something shot out of something into another cousin's face, and maybe we should have stopped there, but do you think we did? Absolutely not. We chalked that up to a one-time mishap that could not happen again, and we continued on with our self-directed fireworks show. We had hundreds of dollars worth of fireworks going all the way to the grand finale, a box of mortars that the employee at the fireworks store had directed us to when we said, show us the best thing you've got. <laughs> I forget the name of it. I should have taken a picture of it. This was going to be a great idea. To make a long story short, most of our fireworks went awesome. Stuff shooting up, uh, Craig, to rival Disney's Main Street fireworks show, stuff shooting up hundreds of feet into the air. You could see the little, and then it would, 100 or 200 feet in the air, and then it would explode up there. And this was awesome. They don't sell this in Costa Mesa. You can't buy these here. And so we were, we were doing all of that, and uh, kids were clapping, wives were cheering. They were so proud of us for what we've done for the family. Teenagers are posting Instagram Live videos on their, their social media. We came to the final firework, the, the grand finale. It had multiple fuses, if that tells you anything about it, that needed to be lit. And we set it down by the lake, as far to the lake as we could get. We thought about going on the other side of the lake because it'd be farther from the house and the people, but we thought, that's 100 or 200 feet from the house, we'll be okay. And, and we also thought over on the other side of the lake there were a bunch of trees. That felt a little more dangerous, so we were making a wise decision. But we put it right by the shore of the lake, and we told all the kids and the, the adults to get, get by the house. A few of them were watching it from the hot tub. They were enjoying it and uh, looking out, and my father-in-law and mother-in-law and sister-in-laws and the cousins. They're all standing there. My brother-in-law and I began to light the multiple fuses. We each had to light a couple and, and then run. And, and I, I got mine lit, and I began to run, and I looked back, and my brother-in-law got the last one that he started running. He tripped, and I thought, and we all kind of laughed. It was still kind of funny. And, and then it started going off, and he's running and ducking for cover. And, and there, I think it had 20 or 30 different things that went up at some point. It was like a 10, not 10, that's too long, maybe a minute or two, but it felt like 10 minutes, I don't know. But it, it was long, going up. And so we thought, well, that's the worst thing's going to happen is he's going to trip. And so they're ooing and aahing and everyone's cheering. And we didn't realize it, but we had set it on a little bit of ground that wasn't perfectly level. And so when four or five of them went up, the kind of blast of that turned it toward the slope a little bit. And now those things that were going 100 or 200 feet into the air before they exploded were now skimming right along the ground, getting a little air right about head level right before they got to the house and exploding. And there's nothing we can, and the first one I see is my father-in-law is standing there and one explodes right by his head. I'm like, I was like, I'm going to kill my father-in-law, oh no, what's going to happen? And then, and then all of a sudden one goes over here and by someone else's feet and people are jumping and running for cover and ducking and kids are crying and wives are yelling at us, I told you you shouldn't have done this. 
And I said, it was my brother-in-law. I never wanted to do it. And, and literally a couple of them exploded right by my father-in-law's head and other people, and, and the kids in the hot tub had nowhere to go, and they're diving under trying to get cover. And <laughs> Thankfully, no one was seriously injured, and it all turned out well. And that's a humorous illustration, but it was one of those spots where this seems like a really good idea, and then in the middle of it, I thought, it's not maybe the best idea we ever had. This didn't go as well as I had planned. You've been there? I can tell you on the same vacation, uh, I made the decision to take our family tubing down a river. I don't have the time to tell you the story, but a river, uh, some rapids in Virginia. And su- suffice it to say, it didn't turn out to be a great idea. You ask any of my teenagers, they'll tell you about it. They spent hours trying to paddle to find us, and anyway, it was fun, but for us, but not for them. But <laughs> the truth is that sometimes we come to some really important times of our lives, not just family vacations. And we make some decisions that we feel like this is going to be a good idea. And we get into the middle of it and we look and say, what have I done? How is this going to turn out? Who am I going to hurt because of my decision here? Where is this going to go? And we find a story like that in our passage this morning in Genesis. As we look at the story of the Tower of Babel, the people on earth made a really bad decision here in Genesis chapter number 11. We're going to start in 10. That's the title of my message this morning. How to make a really bad decision. How many of you say, Pastor Ryan, I'm an expert. I can leave right now, get early at lunch. I don't need this message at all. Anybody with me? If Bill, a few of us, right? I don't need this message. I know how to do that. Well, maybe we'll see some things to learn the opposite side, but how to make a really bad decision. Last time, for, for those that are maybe joining us, just so we, we understand where we're at in the Bible, last time we were in our series, we were in Genesis chapter number 9. At the end, Noah has gotten off of the ark. It's the story of God's judgment on earth, the ark, God saved the earth, His mercy, His love, His forgiveness, He saved, he saved humanity. Noah and his family get off, Noah worships, then Noah gets drunk, uh, really, really sets a, a, a curse upon one one segment of his family, a generational curse in his family, and I preached those two messages entitled, Why I Don't Drink Alcohol. That's where we were. So understanding now, we're going to come to Genesis chapter number 10, and where we're at here is about, in Genesis 10 and 11, we're about a hundred years, so it's hard to get this sometimes when you're reading the Bible, because you just turn one page, or you go from one chapter to the next, but we're about a hundred years from when Noah got off the ark, when we get to the Tower of Babel. There's, there's probably, and we also view Scripture through our cultural and our personal experience and our lenses, right? And so we kind of, when we read this, chapter 11, we think of the world looked like it looks today. The reality is, because the population of the earth had been destroyed, save Noah's family, we're now, those that that scholars would estimate, the world's population is about a thousand people. So maybe a, a couple hundred more than is on our property today. That was the world's population, somewhere around a thousand people. They're all living in the same place. And we come to Genesis chapter number 10. Would you read verse uh, number one? Let's read the, uh, the first uh, five words aloud, up to generations. Genesis chapter number 10, verse number one, the first five words. Let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. Now these are the generations. Here's a pro tip. Anytime you read in the Bible, now these are the generations, you're about to head into what can be some of the more difficult parts of the Bible to read and understand, the genealogies. 
Some of you, anybody here, you love studying genealogies. You love the family history. There's, okay, we got one, two, we got, we got about a dozen of you. How many of you, you're like, man, when I get to those, I have a really hard time. It's a little tough to under, where's it all? Here's the reality. They, from an entertainment perspective, they can be fairly boring, if you will, but they're vital. They teach us so much about the history, the geography, what's happening. Chapter 10, the reason we're not going to get into it, it's going to list 70 different families. And so I could spend the next 10 minutes just reading, trying to mispronounce names of 70 different families and all of these things. I'm going to give you a summary of chapter 10. If you'd like, you can go back, obviously, and study it for yourself. I'm not going to turn this into a seminary um, Bible chronology or history course. We're going to look at that, and then we're going to understand why it's there for chapter number 11, but chapter 10 is our, our genealogies, and they're the families of, you can see it in verse number one, now these are the generations of who? Of the sons of who, church? The sons of who? Noah. And he has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We saw that in Genesis 9 when he got drunk. And unto them were born, sons born after the flood. So this is going to give a very uh, condensed version of the, the, the 23andMe or the whatever service you get your DNA from, the family line of Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the sons that were born. He's gonna, that's all that chapter 10 is. And, and, and so we see this here, and I'm going to just summarize it for you. Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And, and, and in chapter 11, because of the Tower of Babel we're about to get, he's going to scatter those families and they're going to populate the earth. Chapter 10 tells us where they get scattered. So chapter 10 kind of comes before chapter 11. Chapter 10 tells us where they all end up landing. It'll tell you places like Magog and Gog, and, which is modern day Russia and different places, where these people ended up landing. That's chapter 10. Who they were and where they landed. Chapter 11 then tells you this is why they got scattered. So that's what it is. As a summary, real high overview, because the message is going to come from chapter 11, the first nine verses. Chapter 10, a summary, Here's, here it is. You can see in verse number two, it says, the sons of Japheth tells you all of these names. The sons of Japheth we, we are, are called sometimes the Japhethites, because in the Bible, anytime somebody, it's the ites. Um, I have, I have title it just to kind of understand who they were, the Gentiles. Now, there were no Gentiles at this time because Gentiles are those that are non-Jews. There were no Jews. The nation of Israel had not been established. We're going to get there in the coming weeks in our series through Abraham. The nation of Israel, the Jewish people did not exist. So there, technically we're not Gentiles here, but the reason I say this is these are the people that populated Europe, some of Asia, and when the gospel goes to the Gentiles in the New Testament, most of them would be from the family line of Japheth. This would probably, if we were to take our 23andMe all the way back or whatever those things are called, it would, most of us would, would trace our lineage to the sons of Japheth. And those that populated Europe, those that populated Asia, those that went there. So you have the sons of Japheth in verse 2. Verse number 6, you have, it says, and the sons of Ham. The sons of Ham were the Canaanites. So the sons of Japheth, to be honest, in the rest of the Old Testament, you're not going to hear a lot about them. They're kind of, uh, I've labeled it, apathetic toward God. You don't really, they're not really a part of most of the battles. They're, they're, they're just kind of doing their thing. And there are some Gentiles that you'll hear, but for most of the Old Testament, the sons of Japheth are just kind of doing their thing. Where you see most of the Old Testament history are going to be the, the um, sons of Ham, which are the Canaanites. We saw it here, Ham's son was Canaan, so they called them the Canaanites. 
you're going to see that from starting next chapter, the Canaanites are against God for the most part. They are the enemies of God. So the sons of Japheth, what we would call the Gentiles in the New Testament, the, the Japhethites, they are kind of on the outside, not really, really big into much of the Old Testament. The sons of Ham, Noah's second son, most of them, and this goes back to the curse from Ham's involvement in his dad's drunken uh, uh, situation, uh, there's a curse, and they really become the enemies of God. The Canaanites, for the most part, are the enemies of God. And then in verse number 20 of chapter 2, you see, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, sons of, where's, oh no, 21, says, unto Shem also, the father of the children, it goes on to list the children of Shem. And we have the sons of Shem, which we call the Shemites. These are those that were the people of God. I call them aligned with God. From this line, you'll see it at the end of chapter 11. I know this is a lot of introduction, but stick with me. I want us to understand what we're talking about, and then we'll get into it. Noah has three sons. The earth begins to populate. The three sons had three family trees. And in history, and in Bible history, and in human history, very different things. And so you have the sons of Shem. What do we call, often a Jewish person is called a Semite. Those that are against Jews, we call them anti-Semites, right? You've heard that term? That, that's because that comes from the sons of Shem, the Shemites. And they're still to this day Semitic that we use that. That comes from Noah's, that's thousands of years ago, Noah's son Shem, the Semitic people. And so these are the people of God. It's where Abraham's going to come. It's where Jesus Christ ultimately is going to come from the sons of Shem. Um, again, to understand chapter 10, throw up that first map there, Tej, if you will, to understand chapter 10. So they start in what we would call kind of Israel, and here's where they populate. The sons of Shem stay there, kind of in that fertile crescent area, going into those spots. Um, the sons of Japheth kind of go into, uh, into kind of Asia, Europe, they end up going further. The sons of Ham go down into Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, some of Africa. So that's, go to the next, the next one. The next one kind of shows you, based on chapter number 10, the names that you'll find in chapter 10. Descendants of Shem, descendants of Ham, descendants of Japheth, color-coded green, purple, orange. And you can see they're up into Turkey. They're down into Egypt, Ethiopia. Again, this could become a Bible college class. I'm not going to jump into that. But just to give you the idea of what's happening, that's chapter 10. That's what chapter 10 is. Three sons, three sons, family lines getting scattered at the Tower of Babel into three different regions of the world. And from there, human history population begins to expand. That's chapter 10. Now, let's get to our text, the first nine verses of Genesis chapter number 11. Genesis chapter number 11, and the whole earth was of how many languages? Genesis 11, verse number 1, church. The whole earth was of how many languages? And of how many, how much, how many speech, speeches, or how, how, what kind of speech? One speech. They were of one language and of one speech. And it, about a thousand people, remember. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And, and, and throw up that last map here. This is the plain of Shinar, again, what is often referred to as the Fertile Crescent, where you would find today modern-day Israel. You can see Jerusalem on the left there by the Mediterranean Sea, moving over into some in Jordan, some of those spots. This is where everybody on earth is living. We're going to see it next week, uh, two weeks from now after our missions conference. Th this property, this piece of land has been under constant battle and struggle for millennia. So everybody is living here. They're all part of one big family. Noah is the father. Uh, they, 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 about a hundred years, a few generations, the family has grown to a, with three kind of patriarchs, Sh uh, Shem, uh, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. 
and, and it's grown to a population of about 1,000 people, and they're all living here in this Fertile Crescent area. It says in verse number three, and they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So what is happening here, it is man trying to figure out how to live their lives excluding God. How do we build a society How do we make sure that our families uh, last and that we have prosperity without following God, without God's plan? We want to build a society outside of God's Word, God's plan, God's instructions. Does that sound familiar to any of you? We've been doing that ever since, haven't we? We as God's creation, we're living our lives, and we say we want to figure out how do we build a society How do we build our lives with prosperity and security, excluding God, without God? That's what they're doing. That's what, let us, let us, let us, they say it three times, let us, let us figure out how to make our name great. Let us figure out how to, how to protect our families. Let us figure out, not God, what is your plan? What is our plan? Verse number five. And the Lord came down, God hears about it, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. He comes down, and by the way, no matter how much you want to exclude God, God sees what you do in the decisions you make and what I do in the decisions I make. No matter how much we try to build our lives apart from Him, He still sees, and He comes down and He looks at what they're building. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. By the way, I have to imagine it was, it was maybe a somewhat, God's, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, but to, to put it in human emotions, a really dis- disappointing thing. A hundred years before, he had kind of given a fresh start and a reset, and now just a few generations later, his creation is trying to walk on and move on without him again. He comes down and he says, behold, they're one, and this they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them. It's going to get worse if we don't do something which they have imagined to do. Notice he says, go to. Do you see that? Let us. The the human said three times, let us. God says one time, let us, because our God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. And they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Isn't it interesting? What do we say about an unintelligible language? A baby is babbling. Isn't that interesting that we we use that, that phraseology? But that's what happens here. God confuses the languages. There's about 70 families within these three 70 people groups, dads that have been born and and people that have had, you know, six sons, eight sons, ten sons. And he says, I'm going to make each family, basically, each people group have their own language. They can't understand each other, so they have to go somewhere else and kind of start their own civilization. It's where the diversity that we find in our world today came from, right here, Genesis chapter number 11. It's where the different people groups and the different languages and all of that springs from Genesis chapter number 11. But what we see here is is people trying to build without God, man getting lifted up in pride, starting to move against God. They made a terrible decision. They said, let us figure out what this life should look like. Our argument to see you. 
let us figure out what life should look like. Whether it's a decision in where to live, what career to pursue, who to date or marry, how to raise our children, how to spend our money, you and I are faced with decisions throughout our lives that will shape and direct us in ways that are either pleasing to God or ways that will ultimately lead to our pain and destruction and confusion. I want to give you three thoughts this morning, three thoughts on how to make a really bad decision from this passage. The people of God, like they had done before the flood, now after the flood, about a hundred years later, they're making a really bad decision. We're going to take life into our own hands. We're going to do what makes sense to us. We're going to do make what makes us happy. We're going to do what makes what, 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 what we think is going to uh, be the most pleasing to us. And by the way, human nature hasn't changed all that much in the last 4,000 years. You know what you and I do today in 2022? We're going to make the decisions based on what makes sense to us, what makes us happy, what we think is going to bring pleasure and honor and glory to our names. We're faced with the same mentality that they were here, but we can learn from their mistakes in the decisions of life that we're making. What are the three things, three ways from this passage uh, how you can make a really bad decision? Number one, listen to those around you. Would you read the first six words of verse number three, chapter 11 with me? The first six words of chapter number three, up to another. Let's read those together. 11, verse three, first six words. Ready? Begin. And they said one to another. They began to go, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? Let's figure it out. What do you think? You find this again with the Israelites in, in Exodus. Moses is up on the mount. And what happens? They begin to murmur against, amongst one another. And within a month, they're worshiping a golden calf. You know one of the best ways to make some really poor decisions is to solely, now I'm not saying you can't learn from those around you, but to solely listen to those around you in your peer group, in your same stage of life, to solely listen to those people. How many people are in jail today because they listened to the wrong advice from friends? How many people have had financial ruin because they listened to bad advice from somebody that wasn't poised to give them good financial advice? How many people have made terrible decisions? How many teenagers have done things that they regret or maybe have scars in their lives because they, they, they thought it would be a, be a good idea to do what their, the friends, those around them, thought they should do? How many people make terrible decisions that seem like a good idea at the time because of the input of the, of the wrong influence. This past Monday night, during the 49ers-Rams game, a guy made a really dumb decision. And if you watched that game on Monday night, I can't remember who won. I can't, does anybody know who won that game? Oh, that's right, the Niners won. Okay. Um, I, just want, I had to get it in there, all right? You guys got us in the NFC Championship game. Uh, but but he, he made a really dumb decision. And I think we have a picture of it. He decided somewhere to run onto the field. I don't know if it's a gender reveal. I don't know if he's protesting some cause. Because like, he had pink smoke flying from him. I don't know what his shirt said. I didn't care that much to look. Uh, I don't know what it was. But I think at this point, it maybe seemed like a good idea. He's running onto the field, getting his point across. He's getting his 15 or seconds of fame. And then about 10 seconds after this, it becomes a really bad idea. Because all-pro linebacker Bobby Wagner decided to stop this, this, this protester, whatever he was, for the security guards. Two Rams linebackers, best tackle they made all night, by the way. Two Rams linebackers, I didn't get that, only a few people heard that. Uh, the, uh, they decided to take him down. I don't know for sure on this one, but can I tell you, most people that decide they're going to run onto a field like this, most people, 
and I don't know about this guy's specific instance, but they don't make that decision unilaterally. They have friends in the stands videoing them, and somewhere they have a conversation, they say, wouldn't it be cool? Don't you think this is a good idea? And you know what? You always want to be the friend that's telling the other one, yes, that would be really cool. You don't want to be the friend that everyone's saying, yeah, that would be cool, go do that. And I don't know for sure, but I have to imagine maybe there was a friend group and they said, I don't know if it's, again, I don't know if it's gender reveal, I don't know what this guy was doing, but hey, it would be really cool to do this. And, and because of the bad advice, whether that guy did or not, many like him get pile-drived by NFL linebackers. At that point, his friends were glad they had convinced him to be the guy and not them. By the way, the Bible does tell us to seek counsel, but often in the Bible, that counsel is to come from older, more experienced, more godly people, to study Scripture, to spend time in prayer. You want to make a bad decision? Solely do it based on those around you, what they think is a good idea. Let me give you this, a good rule of thumb. If a godless culture thinks it's a good idea, there's a good chance it isn't. If a godless culture thinks it's a good idea, there's a good chance it isn't. Be careful. You want to make a really bad decision? Make all your decisions based on what your Instagram followers think is cool, or, or what this friend group thinks is right, or what popular culture is telling you, or what these celebrities or entertainers are saying. This is the path to life. And I don't mean, I'm not happy about it, but many of them can't figure out life for themselves, and they end up in multiple marriages and rehab and all of these things, and we take our cue on how to live life from people that haven't figured out how to live life. That's what they did here. They said one to another. Secondly, how do you make a really bad decision? Listen only to those around you. Number two, look at verses three and four. Lean on your own wisdom. Verse three, they said one to another, look what they said. Go to, here it is, let us make brick. Verse four, and they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And most people would say that they were building a tower uh, to worship the gods of that earth that they had come up with, not the God of heaven. That was the point of that. And let us make us a name that lean on your own wisdom. Let us make brick. Let us build a city. Why were they trying to figure life out? Look at their fear. It was an irrational fear, by the way. The end of verse number four, they said, lest, here's their fear. Here's why they're taking their lives into their own hands, making their own decisions lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. We've got to do something to make sure we don't get scattered. Do you see the irony? We've got to make a—I've got to take my life into my own hands to make sure I have a happy life and I have freedom. How many, how many Christians? I need freedom from all the rules of the Bible. And what do we find often when we take our lives into our own hands? We find the bondage of sin, the regrets, the shame, the heartache, and uh, seeking freedom because I don't want bondage from God's, all of God's rules. By the way, it's not God's rules, it's a relationship with God, but that's another message for another time. But I don't want that bondage, and we go in. How many young people, age 17 or 18, they're going to show mom and dad, I'm tired of my dad will say this, he'll say, I, I was a, a rough, my senior year I had a rough year, I was not the greatest son, he was talking about, talking about himself. He said, I showed my dad, I wasn't going to be sitting under his rules, I enlisted in the Navy. <laughs> no one's telling me what to do. Was that your story, Kevin? Getting out from under all those rules. I'm one of the Marines. How many? Their, their irrational fear was, lest we be scattered abroad. And what did God do? Exactly what he did. He scattered them abroad. Lean onto your own wisdom. Solomon said in Proverbs, he said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. 
Don't lean on your own wisdom. Don't lean on my wisdom. Lean on Scripture. Lean on God and let Him direct your path. Well, I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to go to that college. I'm going to start this career. I'm going to move to this place. It's cheaper. The gas prices, the this, the that. By the way, God may have you or me at some point to move somewhere else, but don't make those decisions in your own wisdom. Seek godly counsel. Go to God's Word. You're dating. Well, she's pretty. Well, he's handsome. Well, he makes me laugh. We have a good time. We like all the same things. Don't lean on your own wisdom. It's too big of a decision. Go to God. Does it align with the principles of God's Word? Are there godly counselors that are telling you this is a good idea? Do you have people in your life that are helping to? We all need those things, not just peer groups, but godly, the Holy Spirit leading in our lives. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Bad things always happen when we walk in our own wisdom rather than walking by faith in God's truth. Bad things always happen when we walk in our own wisdom rather than walking by faith in God's truth. Does God's Word agree with what you're choosing to do with your life? I've had people tell me as they walked away from a spouse and children, this is God's will for my life, this this ungodly relationship I'm involved in. Here's the problem. I have a peace about it. What do they say? I figured it out. It feels good to me. Here's the reality. God's will never contradicts God's Word. God's will never contradicts God's Word. So if what you have a peace about goes directly against principles of Scripture, it's not God's will and it's not God's peace. It might be your flesh or my flesh. Do godly counselors agree with what you're doing and what you're thinking? You and I don't have enough wisdom to get through this life on our own. We need God's wisdom and His Word to guide us. We aren't as smart as we think. By the way, they thought they were pretty smart. Three times, let us, let us, let us. We're pretty powerful. Boy, we get a thousand people together, we can do a lot of stuff. We can build a big building. Let us, let us make a great name for ourselves. Let us. It only took one of God's let us to undo all three of their let us's. God came down and said, let us stop all of this. Number three, and we're done. Verse number four, the Bible says, and they said, let us make us a name. The third way to make a really bad decision is to live for your own glory, to live for your own pleasure. Don't we see that all around us and sometimes in our own lives? This life is about my glory. This life is about my pleasure. This life is about, I just want to live a happy life. I want to get the YOLO, and that's a little older of a phrase, but man, I, I just got to get the most out of, as long as, what do we say things about our kids? As long as they're happy. Our happiness is not the number one priority in why God created us. His glory is. And by the way, living for His glory brings joy unspeakable. It brings a wonderful life with many blessings. But the end all is not, am I happy, but is He pleased? Not, am I fulfilled, but am I fulfilling God's plan for my life? We've got to change our thinking. They were living for their own glory. I'm living for my pleasure. What pleases me? What makes me happy? There is only one who deserves glory and worship. They said, let us make us a name. There's only one whose name deserves any worship and glory. There's only one whose pleasure we should live for. John tells us in Revelation, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. 
you're worthy to receive glory and honor and power. We were created for your pleasure, God, not our own. And again, the, the beautiful thing about this is when you live for his glory and when you live to bring pleasure to him, God pours out blessings unlike anything you can ever imagine. He gives joys and, and fulfillment, and, and he gives relationships that are beyond our imagination. But when we go try to seek those in our own wisdom, we often fall short. We come up empty. We live, we get to a midlife crisis and say, what have I done for the last 45, 40, 50 years? I've wasted my life. Why? Because I was living for my own glory, not his. Want to make some really bad decisions? Decide things based on what is best for you. What will please your flesh? What will magnify your name? at the expense of how it fits into God's purposes and plans. You do it, you make decisions that way, you'll choose a wrong spouse. You'll choose a job that keeps you from serving God because it pays you more. You'll spend your money on yourself rather than using it to bless and help others. You'll miss out on joys and rewards and on crowns in heaven because your life was all about bringing glory and pleasure to yourself, a terrible framework to make decisions by that will leave you empty, confused, and alone is to listen to those around you to lean to your own wisdom and to live for your own glory, to live for your own pleasure. So teenager, how are you making the important decisions in your life? Young adult, single adult, how are you making the important decisions in your life? Young couple, how are you making the important decisions in your life? Middle-aged believer, how are you making the important decisions in your life? Senior saint, how are you making the important decisions in your life? You want to make great decisions in your life? Don't listen only to those that have the same experience in life that you do. Seek godly counsel. Go to God's word. Don't lean on your own wisdom. Go to the principles of God. Don't live for your glory. Live for him so God scatters them. And the rest of the chapter, look at verse number 10. It's kind of funny. We had chapter, I'm sorry, verse number 10 of chapter 11, and we're, we're about done. I'll wrap it up in the next five minutes, but I want you to stay with me. This brings it all together. Chapter 10 are all these genealogies. Chapter 11, he scatters them at the Tower of Babel. Look at verse number 10. What are the first four words of verse number 10? These are the what, church? We're back to genealogies. What? I thought I got through those in chapter 10. What is, what is the rest of chapter 11, beginning in verse number 10? It is, he's going to go into more detail into the house or family of Shem, the Shemites. And he's going to tell us, and it's going to take us to a man named Abraham. And really the end of chapter 11 and moving into chapter 12 is the turning point of the entire Old Testament narrative. And what we see, if we're not careful, if we're trying to read, just reading through our Bible in a year, so we come to Genesis 10 on January 4th. And we get to a bunch of genealogies, and okay, Ham, Magog, Gog, Major, okay, Shem, Japheth, whatever. And then we go, okay, Tower of Babel, okay, oh, more, oh, Shem, Shem, Abraham, okay. And what we see are just a list of names, but it's beautiful. You know what? Right after the Tower of Babel, right after God's judgment, you know what these genealogies, you know what they are a picture of? It ends with Abram. You can, you can see it in verses 29 and 30, the end of chapter 11. It ends, it says, Abram, chapter 20, verse 29 and 30, Abram and Nahor took them, Sarai, Abram's wife, verse 30, says Terah, which is Abram's dad, in verse 31, Terah dies, so we're left with Abraham. Why is it significant? Because Abraham will become the father of Israel. 
And it's from Abraham that the Messiah, his family line, the Messiah will come. The Savior of the world will come. It's promised through Abraham. And so the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the Old Testament is the story of the people that will come from the line of Abraham and ultimately the Savior that will come. What this story is, the Tower of Babel really, and, 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 and the flood, it's what we see earlier in Genesis we saw, and it's really the biblical narrative of the whole Bible. Here's what we don't understand sometimes. We think the Bible is 66 different books that are all these different stories. The Bible is one grand narrative. Here's the narrative. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the narrative of the entire Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the big picture of all 66 books. God created us. We messed up that creation. We needed a Savior. He sent His Son to save us. And one day there's coming a complete restoration, that new heaven and that new earth. That's the story of the whole Bible. But then as you study into the Bible, what we see here is a mini picture of that. What is the flood? It was, it was redemption, but then it's also a new creation. We have a new creation, and what did that new creation do within about 100 years? They fell. And what are these genealogies? They're pointing to a coming redemption. They're pointing to a Savior that is going to come from the family line of Abraham. And by the way, it's beautiful because we often think in the Old Testament, well, God is this angry, mean God of judgment. But even in the midst of His judgment, I'm going to scatter all of you the next verses. But I want you to know, yes, you've messed some stuff up, but I'm going to send a Savior. I have redemption power to, to overcome your mistakes, to overcome your regrets, to overcome your bad decisions. How many of you, like your pastor, you've made Made some really bad decisions in life. I'm right there. Okay, three of us. Thank you. You encourage me. The rest of you, you don't need a Savior, but us four, we need a Savior. We've made some really bad decisions, and if we're not careful, we can, we can fall into depression or discouragement. Look at all the, the, the mess I've made of my life. They could have felt that way. They were separated from their family now. Those people they grew up with, they couldn't even talk to anymore. They didn't understand each other's languages. But in the midst of God's judgment, He's giving us a beautiful picture of His mercy and of His grace. He's saying, I will send a Savior. I have a chosen people that they're not even here yet. And from the line of Abraham, my son will come. The rest of the the story is the story of these people who have been scattered the rest of the Old Testament and are lost and confused, realizing their need for a Savior and looking for the promised Savior that would come. You and I are much like the people at the time of the Tower of Babel. We take our lives into our own hands and we make some really bad decisions, and sometimes we feel lost and confused. But here's the good news. We're not looking thousands of years forward for a Savior. Our Savior has come, and His name is Jesus Christ. And yes, you've fallen, and yes, you've messed up, and yes, you've made a mess of your life in some ways, and yes, you wake up and say, I'm going to be a better mom today, I'm going to be a better husband today, and you fail again, I'm going to try to get work on that. And the reality is we can't do it in our own strength. We need a Savior. And this chapter, the end of it, the genealogies are pointing to that Savior. It's the most important decision anyone will ever make, what they will trust regarding their eternal destiny. And many people make the decision on these eternal matters by doing exactly what they did in Genesis 9. They listen to those around them. Well, popular culture says, as long as you do your best and your good outweighs your bad, 
well, I just think all religions get up there, God's up here, and I'm going to go the Buddhist way, and the Muslim way, and the Christian way, and the Catholic way, and this is all, the, all, all, as long as you do your best, and that sounds great, but there's no basis for it in Scripture. So we listen to those around us on the most important decision we could ever make, the decision of what, what we're going to trust to get us to heaven. We listen to some radio religious speaker, or we hear some YouTube video, or some friend tells us, well, I don't even think heaven's real. I don't, I don't know about all that God stuff. It's a fairy tale. The big daddy in the sky, and you just need that. You need a crutch. And so we listen to those around us, and we make a really bad decision on the most important decision of our lives. We lean on our own wisdom. How many people have I heard tell me, I'm trying to let my good works outweigh my bad. I'm leaning on my own. That makes sense to me. If I do more good than I do bad, then... God will be okay with me. Makes sense to you and to me, but it has no basis in Scripture. It's not about good works or bad works done by us. It's about the finished work done by Christ. So we lean into our own wisdom, and then we live for our own glory. Well, this life, it's all just about what I can get out of it and how how much I can achieve. It's, It's not about God's glory or God's name. And we make really bad decisions. Here's the reality. You've listened well. Thank you. Close my Bible to let you know I'm done. Here's the reality, church. The only way to eternal life with Christ is through faith in his finished work. I can't save you. A church can't save you. Your good works can't save you. A successful career can't save you. Only Christ can save you. So have you made the most important decision there is to make? Don't get to the end of your life only to look back and say, it seemed like a good idea to live my life in this way. It's the way the culture told me to live. But you know what? Probably shouldn't have bought those fireworks if I wanted my father-in-law to continue to live. (laughs) And you know what? I probably shouldn't have given decades of my life to stuff that doesn't matter. How to make a really terrible decision, I told you how to make a good one. Listen to those that have more wisdom and experience than you, those that know God and his word. Go to God's Word. Spend time in prayer. Don't lean on your own wisdom and understanding, but go to Scripture. And don't live for your own glory. Live for His. For His name. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, I'm going to challenge you in just a moment. We'll pray together. I'm going to challenge you to make the best. I don't care what bad decisions you've made. And if you've made some and you've got some mess to untangle, we're all here to help each other untangle the messes we've made of our lives. That's why the, one of the reasons the church family exists is we walk through those things together. We'd love to help you. But I don't care what mess you've made of your life. I don't care what bad decisions you've made that you regret. If you're here this morning and you've never made the most important decision, I'm going to challenge you this morning to make Jesus Christ your personal Savior. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.